Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Music to My Ears podcast, brought to you by BBC Music Magazine, the world's best-selling classical music monthly. This week, reviewer to Michael Beek sits down with professional boxer and classically trained bassoonist Hannah Rankin. Hannah talks about dividing her time between sport and music, performing in the boxing ring and on the concert stage, teaching, the perfect music to train to, and some of her favourite works to both play and listen to. You're, you're Scotland's first female world champion, which is amazing, but you're also probably dragging the world's first and only boxing bassoonist. <laughs> yes, actually, I think I am, like, professionally anyway. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> so, um... Strange claim to fame. It's brilliant. I, I love this idea of these these two passions being pursued sort of at the same time in, in many respects. But is it at the same time? I mean, are you able to do both and pursue both? So, yes, I am. Uh, what I do try to do, depending on the level of the fights, I mean, as I've got further on in my boxing career and obviously fighting for world titles, I'm at a much higher level than when I started off. So um, if I go into a training camp for a world title fight, for example, that's 10 weeks. And pretty much halfway through at the latest, I, I will stop having any sort of music commitments mm. and I won't do any more teaching as such um, because obviously when you're teaching children and then you're focusing on getting ready for a fight, those are two very different mental outlooks <laughs> on things. So I, I, I like to be in um, sort of a really positive sort of headspace and, you know, excitable. And when I'm trying to cut weight and uh, get ready for a fight, I'm not that kind of that happy when I want <laughs> to go and do teaching. So I don't want to do it at the same time. No, no. And, and, and tell me about sort of way back, what came first? Was it a sport? Was it sport? Was it music? Always music. Always yeah. music. Yeah. So um, my granddad was a music teacher before he became a head teacher. Oh, wow. And my mum and her two sisters were very musical. Um, my older aunt, uh, she went to study violin and piano at the World Academy of Music. And um, my mum has always played. She played the piano, the cello and the French horn. Wow. Um, so as children, it, we were encouraged to, like, we were, I was sitting on my mum's knee at the piano when I was born, basically. Yeah. You know? So um, music's always been a huge part of the family and just uh, something that's always really brought us together. So I don't think it's too surprising that I went into a musical career. Um, my two, my mum and dad had the farm, had the farm in Scotland um, and my two sisters went down the farming route, but I was never going to be a farmer. <laughs> <laughs> 
and, and, and what's your obviously sitting at the piano with your mum as a, as a baby but what's your first sort of memory of enjoying a piece of music I mean do you re- remember that that moment yeah so when we were we were all born very quite close together my mum had like you know three of us almost under the age of three um when she was really young so oh. um yeah no I think you know there was always music in the car and uh, I think one of my fondest memories is my mum trying to get my dad to join in with some singing. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, uh, we, we would sing. Uh, when you're very little, do you remember my grandfather's clock? Yes. <laughs> yes. So my mum, because my dad's never been an amazing singer. He's been, he's really good at two songs. Um, <laughs> if I were a rich man, nice. crazily enough. Um, good song. And... <laughs> also uh summertime my dad always i love to listen to him sing those because he always had his own take on them but <laughs> yeah my mom tried to get my dad to see my grandfather's clock in the car when we were children hilarious <laughs> my dad was one of those singers who only knew the first like the, a few words of the same songs and <laughs> would make up the rest <laughs> <laughs> my dad is exactly the same um, kaiser chiefs ruby all he knows is the word ruby <laughs> 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 it's a dad thing it's brilliant it's brilliant and uh in terms of recorded music was there anything that you that struck you as a child that you you heard was it was recorded music played in, in classical music terms so the aunt that i mentioned that did violin and piano she's uh, married to my uncle paul mm. and he is actually a conductor with the birmingham royal ballet oh wow um so when we were really young we actually received a video cassette like a videotape um, of my uncle conducting and it was the ballet on stage. Mm. So I remember uh, Peter and the Wolf as being something that I watched from quite a young age and also Fantasia. I was obsessed with Fantasia as a kid. Yes. Um, Probably still quite obsessed with it as an adult. Uh, It's always one of those ones that stuck with me. And funnily enough, I loved the Sorcerer's Apprentice part. And it, that's, I actually came on to playing that late, much later in my life. Right. Um, and I had a horrible realisation when I played it on the bassoon um, that actually it's in four flats and it's not the easiest thing to play ever at all. <laughs> but my childhood memory made it something that must be easy. And I remember getting to it thinking, oh, it's as hard as I thought. <laughs> I rewatched Fantasia a couple of months ago because I just hadn't seen it for a long, long time. And it is still spectacular, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And I remember, <laughs> I think it's probably because it's Mickey Mouse, but yeah, I remember just loving the Sorcerer's Apprentice segment and just being terrified at just about everything else for some reason. And <laughs> I, I had friends that found Fantasia actually really scary. I think it was the dinosaur part that they found yeah, really scary. Yeah, and there's the Night on Bold um, Mountain bit as well with the, yeah, the sort of the right devil spring type. Part. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, <laughs> pretty frightening. <laughs> oh, brilliant. And so at school, learning instruments, you started with the flute, did you say? Yes. Yeah, so we actually, all three of us started on the piano when we were younger. Okay. But um, my sister Emma had natural aptitude for the piano. She just, she never used to practice, drive my mum mad, and then used to go to the lessons. Whereas 
I didn't practice enough and I uh, was not naturally gifted on the piano. Um, and at the time, we were doing taekwondo lessons as well as piano. And uh, my mom said, well, you can do one or the other because if you're not going to practice the piano, I'm not going to pay for your piano lessons. And I was like, oh, taekwondo is cooler. I'm doing that anyway. <laughs> um, so I dingied the piano quite quickly. <laughs> um, and But yes, I came back to the flute when I was maybe 11. Right. Ten, no, 10, 10 mm. or 11. And um, yeah, it was my first sort of instrument. And it was because my two sisters wanted to do string instruments and I was like I'm not doing string instruments so I went with uh, the flute yeah yeah to be different and actually really good decision because it got me into orchestral playing playing in ensemble playing basically mm. um and I really really enjoyed it yeah. and and it's quite interesting so there was already then a duality of kind of you know, taekwondo and learning learning instruments so yeah tell me about sort of when boxing sort of appeared for you and became something you were Actually, so when I decided, because obviously I went from flute to bassoon and bassoon started around the age of 15. Mm. And that's when I decided I was going to, I was 100% sure I wanted to go into a musical career. It was just the instrument for me. Um, and probably I stopped doing taekwondo around the age of 12 because my mom was like, you can't do music and taekwondo. She was terrified for my hands and my, my mouth and stuff. And also school was getting really busy at the time. So I kind of, uh, I gave it up then, but I regret that because I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fantastic, but it was I was more focused on my school and music. Mm. Um, and I didn't come back to a combat sport until my early 20s right. when I was finishing my undergraduate at the conservatoire in Glasgow. Mm. Um, I wanted to get fit again. And I really, really don't like the normal gym. I find it very boring. Uh, so I went back to combat classes and I started doing some Thai boxing um, and circuit training to keep it ent- like entertain myself. Mm. Um, and then when I moved to London to do my master's at the World Academy of Music, um, I got introduced to boxing uh, at gym box when I was doing some Thai boxing. And mm. actually, I fell in love with it at the time. So it was very late, very, very late started to the sport. Yeah, but, but fascinating. And, so, and, and then you realised it was you were good at it. The two mm-hmm. was somebody there, thought, you know, beside you saying <laughs> you, you can do this. Why don't you consider, you know. So um, when, I, when I started doing it, I actually met my coach, who I still have now, Noel Callum. Mm. And also uh, Derek Sweet D. Williams, who's a former heavyweight boxer. Um, and they both inspired me in the sport at the time. And um, I wanted to kind of, you know, see all the stuff I was learning in the fitness classes, if I could actually do anything with it. Yeah. And I went on to do some white collar fights to raise money for charity. Right. Um, at the same time, uh, when I first actually got into boxing, when I first moved to London, um, my mum, unfortunately, got diagnosed with cancer. Oh. And um, unfortunately, it was a very rapid decline. And six months later, she passed away. Oh, gosh, I'm sorry. Um, it was awful. So she's never actually seen me box. Wow. She never saw me box. Um, and actually, I think I was kind of dragged in, uh, like kind of drawn into the boxing world even more because it was something that wasn't associated with my mum, whereas music was massively associated sure. with that. And I was trying to study and, you know, it was very emotional mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and actually having a bit of a the boxing family at the gym and somewhere where I could tire myself out so I couldn't think about everything yeah. meant that uh, boxing became a massive sort of, it was kind of there for me in a very, very difficult time yeah. and helped me get through a, a grieving situation. And it was just, it was just there for me. So I feel like that kind of what pushed me further into the sport because I wanted to give back to what, to something that had given something to me when I was really in need. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably why I've got to where I am now, because mm. I'm super dedicated and obsessed with achieving as best I can in it. Mm. So it became a real outlet. 
yeah, it was definitely an outlet and, and real support for me, yeah. actually. Yeah. So they and my team inspired me. And when I thought when I did enough white collar fights, um, my coach was like, right, you can go down the amateur route, go to an amateur gym. <laughs> he tried to get rid of me. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, I, I wanted to stay with my team. So we, we went down the professional route and I found that even though the first bar I had with a professional fighter, it was horribly hard. Okay. <laughs> I mean, definitely came out with a few bumps and bruises, but I was determined to get back in and learn how to do it better so I could be better the next time. Um, and my coach really, he liked that attitude of mine and the way that I just, yeah, I'm driven with stuff. So yeah, we have a very similar mindset. So mm. yeah, it, it's where it all started. Oh, I see, I see. And does music ever sort of collide with this? I mean, have you got a, have you got a theme tune as a, as a fighter when you come out to the ring? I mean, do, or, or do you use specific music when you're training? Does it ever join up in any way? Music is a massive part of actually my boxing training. When I first started, mm. um, when I couldn't figure out combinations, my coach used to say, put it to a rhythm in your head. Right something that you can associate to it. Because yeah. uh, I can't tell you how many quavers or crotchets or whatever he used to say. <laughs> he was like, you, you just put it into a rhythm in your head and it, it massively helps. And boxing is akin very much to dance. You know, it's so fluid and the rhythm is a huge, huge part of it. Yeah. So it plays a, a massive part. And um, yeah, I, I listen to lots of music, but I don't listen to classical music when I'm boxing because I have very different emotional attachments to classical music sure. that and some of it's um personal some of it's kind of like sort of really my my heart is attached to that so like when I'm focusing on uh, boxing I want to be kind of calm cool focused mm -hmm. so I, I listen to different kinds of music just popular yeah. music really. have you got a, a go-to first track when you want to get get sort of you know pepped up for for training yeah i mean uh roy jones jr mm -hmm. can't be touched <laughs> is a, one of my favorites yeah. as i've had that as a walkout tune a couple have of you? times yeah yeah um always if you want to listen to some rocky that's always great as well <laughs> i was listening to some <laughs> rocky, rocky earlier honestly i genuinely was playing some rocky cool. earlier <laughs> you can't help but feel pepped it's up so like. cool it's so cool and some great songs in those films as well So in terms of like your, your what did you call it your entrance music your uh, it's your walkout walk music. music wow okay have you have you ever gone uh, classical or fanfare for that or is that a, that maybe down the line you might uh... <laughs> do you know so many people say oh could you not play it walk out like no <laughs> I can't do that <laughs> but um, there are some great kind of crossover pieces which include some fantastic classical music that I would potentially use later yeah. on there's been um, suggestions of using obviously the pipes uh, being Scottish uh, so I, I want to save that for a big moment yeah. you know so there's it, music plays a big part uh, the walkout has to be right um, and I actually for my world title fight I worked with a guy called Ransom F.A. Mm. who's one of Scotland's top grime artists okay. and he actually wrote me a piece really? for a walkout and he uh, emceed me to the ring, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. But it was cool to cross my two worlds over, yeah. you know, and and give him an opportunity. And it was on the BBC. Oh, it was great. It was really oh, good. I love it. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. 
And going back to the bassoon, what was it about the bassoon that that struck you? Going from flute to bassoon, I mean, when I was learning music at school, I mean, such an instrument wasn't on offer. Was it offered at school or was it just something you sought out? So I went to Hermitage Academy in Helensborough, which is just a state school. Mm. And um, But we had a very, very strong music department. Um, it was led by Mr. Pullen at the time. And he was somebody who was so excitable and so really into what he was doing. And like I used to love being there because there's lots of energy in the department. Um, obviously, it was my passion as well. But we had all the instruments. But we didn't have a bassoon. And a really lovely lady donated a bassoon because she was outraged that our good orchestra didn't have one. <laughs> um, she should be. <laughs> I was amazing. I know what a nice thing to do. Yeah. Um, but when it arrived, we were talking about oh, who's going to play it. And I was one of, I don't know how many flute players in school. Like there were so many flutes and so many violinists. Yeah. Um, I thought, oh, what's this? And I just loved it because it was different and it was something new. And when I picked it up and played it for the first time, I had a go at it. I knew, I just knew that was the instrument for me. Um, but it's definitely a characteristic of mine to take the the slightly different path and do the different yeah. things because I like to be a bit different, mm-hmm. you know? So, mm, that's yeah. That's brilliant. What was the, what, what's your favourite piece of bassoon music to either hear or play? Oh, <laughs> oh it's difficult. So I have a really strong attachment to the piano solo de concert mm-hmm. um for bassoon and piano um i've played it for a lot of uh, important auditions and things at, at the academy and stuff and I, it just really is one of those pieces that i love and every time i go back to it i really just enjoy playing it um it's a great piece of french repertoire you know they they wrote some fantastic uh, test pieces for us from the paris conservatoire right. so um yeah it's one of those ones where i just have a real love for it Definitely. She's on par with the Mozart bassoon concerto, but that's a real love-hate relationship. Is it really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I think every bassoonist would say the same thing. Um, you First of all, you start out not liking it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just so hard to play as an amateur when you start out. Right. And then when you get more, like, you know, further up the levels and things, and it will be the piece that you play for every single audition for the rest of your <laughs> life. So <laughs> you have to learn to kind of love it and find a way to love mm-hmm. it. And... Uh, I remember when that turning point happened and I suddenly thought, no, I really, I love this piece. I really love this. Tell me about music now for you. Obviously, boxing is a focus, but where where are your outlets now for music? You teach, you said, and are you are you, mm-hmm. are you playing, still playing, and able to get out there and do some bits and bobs? Yes. So obviously, this last year has been a bit of a nightmare because mm. there's been no performing yep. at all. Um, and actually, 
I have missed it so much. I've been very busy with my boxing career and things have been progressing really amazingly and things like that. But I just realized I'm missing being on stage. I'm missing being in front of an audience and just having that kind of connection with a group of players and the buzz, you know, when you perform. Um, I was missing that. And my quintet, I have a quintet, the Coriolis quintet. And we had our first performance together uh last week oh lovely <laughs> last wednesday that must have been amazing yeah it was and you know we were so excited in rehearsals <laughs> and we were just like really buzzing to see each other and the music had a whole new life to it because it was kind of like we've been held back from playing it for so long yeah. um we were doing a concert for live music now and uh they do co- they it was uh, broadcast online uh to uh a care home uh denville hall uh, it's actually a care home for entertainment uh, people from the entertainment uh, really? industry. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it was really nice. And we actually got to use the St. Pancras Clock Tower as our place for showing wow. it. And it was amazing because you could see everything outside. Yeah. It's such a cool venue. So yeah, it was just really great to play. And that's probably one of my main outlets. We go to care, normally go into care I homes, see. go into schools and we do interactive concerts. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I really, really missed that. And when we first went into the lockdown and there was all the problems for care homes and I just felt so sad because that's somewhere that we normally spend quite a bit of time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that really hit me I quite bet. hard. Yes, they've had an especially rough time through it all, haven't they? Yeah. Oh, wow. And, and tell me about your teaching. I have a few uh, private pursuing students, okay. um, one of which I'm very proud of, actually. He's just got into the junior college um so i'm really really pleased uh he's just so into his music his second study organ um very proud of all the hard work he's done all the way through lockdown um and to get in on a recorded like obviously recorded interview online uh i was really proud Mm. of him um but yeah i also teach flute and clarinet i have my um lram teaching certificate from the world academy of music so i also teach those at various schools as well um but yeah, I think I love teaching. It's um, I find it to be like a fun puzzle, really? you know. Uh, yeah, especially in boxing and in music, you know, it's great to figure out what makes people tick and how people learn. And I think that's the fun part of teaching, you know, especially kids. Kids are really honest and straight down the line. <laughs> yeah, they'll tell you exactly what they do. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely right. Absolutely right. <laughs> tell me about tell me about concert going. I mean, do you have time to when you could <laughs> go to, to concerts I mean do you go to classical concerts or do you just so busy with with everything else that you can't no I I do love to go to concerts um you know I haven't been to one in a long mm. time now but I'm a massive opera fan Are you? so yeah I really really love the repertoire as a bassoonist we have some amazing solos <laughs> Um, and I've played in some amazing operas okay. as well ones which will always stick with me forever wow. and ever um but yeah, opera is my real passion. So I'm looking forward to the opera house opening up or the Coliseum and get down to go and see some, you know, live performance. Yes, oh, we, we all are, aren't we? I mean, it's just been such a long time. Uh, tell me about your opera playing. What, what, what's what been the most amazing to, to perform in? So uh, I did Eugene Onyegin when I was at the Academy mm. and I'm a big Tchaikovsky mm. fan. Um, and it just, it was one of the best pieces that I'd done in opera and the magic of being in the pit and and Lenski to Aria and I was just so many parts about it which are just magical mm. um and that's probably one of my favorite like times in the pit um I also got to do uh what's it called um Hansel and Gretel 
And I think Hansel and Gretel is like the opera version of like the magic but at Christmas. You know, when, you know, instead of going to the pantomime, you go to see Hansel right. and Gretel. It's like that kind of opera that is sort of open to the public, I would say the most. Right, okay. I get it. Also, the second bassoon starts off the whole overture. <laughs> it's a big moment. <laughs> <laughs> It's a great piece. And actually, I've got a, an arrangement for a wind quintet of Hansel and Gretel. Um, and we did it in performance. And I actually had to be the narrator. Oh, wow. So I had to do all the characters. Oh, gosh, exciting. Uh, yeah, no, it was really, really good. Uh, it really transcribed well to a quintet setup, actually. Mm. Um, so those ones. And then um, I did Swan Lake with the St. Petersburg Ballet Theatre. We did a whole run of that at the Coliseum. Right. I was playing principal bassoon and that was an experience in itself because firstly I could play in the Coliseum uh, in the pit all day, every day for the rest of my <laughs> life. It's like such a perfect place to play. The acoustic is so good and you just feel, you don't feel on your own at any point. It's just this nice place really? to play. How interesting. Um, yeah. And, uh, the conductor was Russian, um, and he didn't speak much hmm. English. So, he shouted a lot <laughs> and I was thinking, I really hope I understand what, like I kind of get the gist of what he's <laughs> saying. Um, but we did it like some, you know, sometimes with the Russian orchestras, they do it their own in kind of like uh, different tempos and the way that they yeah. play is just very different to over here. And there were so many differences. Um, and there's just a really beautiful moment where the principal bassoon and the lead violinist, the lead violinist has a huge solo and I'm kind of, uh, playing along with him at the time and it was yeah very exciting wow what a lovely moment I, you almost can't imagine that a, an orchestra pit would ever have a good acoustic for some reason it just went... do you know what you just felt like sometimes as a musician you tend to judge places particularly on how you feel when you play right. there so like obviously playing in a church everything can be quite soft and mm. round you know you don't have to worry about feeling on your own but sometimes you can go into a concert hall and you literally feel like you're sitting here in a whole orchestra and you might as well have earmuffs on really? because the people beside you, you can't hear it that well. And it's just not a nice experience because you feel like you're so loud all of the time. <laughs> <laughs> so it is very much about the kind of the acoustic and how it responds to you when you're playing, which makes a difference when you're performing. Yeah, yeah. And and going going to concerts, have you had, is there a memorable concert experience that you can recall with from any time in your, your past that you've been to see? Actually, a really mm. weird one, but uh, when I was in Edinburgh, um, I went to go and see a Russian choir sing oh. mm -hmm. there. And they had, do you know that you get those really, really low Russian basses? Yes, amazing yeah, sound. So it, it was amazing, like so yeah. low. <laughs> it feels just like vibrations. Um, I remember hearing them perform in Edinburgh, and actually that left me with a sort of, I just couldn't, yeah, it was just so exciting. Right. And I left the concert feeling just like very privileged to have heard, heard mm. them sing because it was something special, a little bit different to what we've heard over here. I think that's the thing about Russian music that I love. It it can really evoke sort of that, I don't know, real pain and anguish and heartfelt loss yes. that sometimes 
we don't have here because they, you know from from the Russian from their background and their history and stuff. It's just something that is just inbred, like inbuilt yes, in them as well. Absolutely, yeah. sort of permeates it, doesn't it? Totally. It's a really like can be quite dark and but solemn and longing. Mm. It's just yeah, yeah, really cool. And the one that made me decide I wanted to be a musician, but I hadn't decided what how I was going to do it. Uh, I went to see uh, Maxine Bengroff play. My mum took us to see him perform at the concert hall in Glasgow. And I remember thinking, this guy is amazing. Like, just watching him play and perform. I was like, I want to do that. I want to be on stage and be able to, like, control an audience like this. Like, that would be... He was just such... He's so flamboyant and amazing. I think he was playing the... Uh, Hungarian dancers okay. and it's just like so exciting and extravagant and <laughs> well, what a lovely experience so, to have to be taken there to yeah. see that Tell me about uh, the future and, and what, what you sort of see ahead. Obviously, that's difficult. I know we haven't got a crystal ball, but is it always going to be a sort of a, a dual duality or do you think you'll sort of settle into music beyond boxing or vice versa? Well, I think boxing's uh, a finite mm-hmm. career. You know, obviously, as a professional athlete, I can't go forever and ever and ever. Um, I haven't got a, an end date on these things or when I'm planning on it because I think if you put an end date on something like that, then you, yeah, you you kind of work towards that date. I think that's subconsciously. So yeah, there's no end date on it. Um, I fully expect myself to be involved in the boxing world forever now. Um, I would love to do some commentary. Uh, I'd love to become a female commentator just uh, and mix it up a little bit because there's a lot more women getting involved in sport. So that's something I quite Mm -hmm. like to do. Um, But music is something that will always be there for me, I think. It's not something that you get too old to no. do really <laughs> or to enjoy or experience. Yeah. So um, I imagine as I get older, it'll be something that I do a lot more of. Um, but at the moment, whilst I'm young and I've got these options of boxing, these are where my main focus is yes. at the moment. Well, why not? But very canny to get it under your belt, as it were, <laughs> uh, before yes. you sort of went went pro. So great. The, the opportunities are sort of endless for both, really, which is really exciting. Yeah. Uh, one final thing. And tell me, is there a piece of music you can't live without? Is there something that just really means something to you? Oh, I have a few yeah, of those. I, bet. Uh, um, I think it probably has to be... The Hebrides Overture. And I don't think it's probably my most favourite piece Mm. or anything, but it was one of the first pieces that I performed in orchestra with my mum. Oh, wow. And and also my sisters at the same time. Oh, wow, how exciting. We went to our our local orchestra. It was was called the Helensburg Saturday Orchestra Mm. at the time. And I remember learning that piece and uh, my mum performing and to play with her and it was one of those things that will always stick with me and I find that piece to be greatly calming Mm. as well so it used to be the thing I listened to before I went to do my auditions so just calm myself before an audition and put my head in the zone the music zone and kind of let my imagination go a little bit wild um and yeah I think I probably I couldn't live without having access to that piece ever Mm. again 
um, because it's definitely uh, something I will I have fond memories yeah. of um, and personal attachments, and then also it's a great sort of it's calming. I find it calming. That's lovely, and it's that's quite. I love the fact that you use it to calm yourself for audition. Totally opposite to what you might listen to before a, a boxing. Match. Oh yeah, no, I would <laughs> you don't want to calm down before boxing. boxing. <laughs> no, no. Brilliant stuff. Well, Hannah, thanks so much. It's been delightful to chat to you, and uh, best oh, of luck you. with well both your endeavours, <laughs> and maybe we'll see you again thank soon. You thanks much. so much. That was Hannah Rankin on making it as a professional in the ring as a boxer and on the concert stage as a bassoonist. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from the team at BBC Music Magazine. Do let us know what you think of the podcast by rating and reviewing it wherever you've been listening. If you want to find out more about BBC Music Magazine, we're available in print and various digital formats across the world. Or you can visit our website, classical-music.com, where you can read about all the latest music happenings, read thousands of reviews and a good deal more. Thanks to Acast for hosting the podcast and to our producer, Brittany Colley.